0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by UnityVillage.org. Songwriter Karen Drucker returns to Unity Village with A Woman's Timeout Retreat, September 19th to 22nd. Learn more at UnityVillage.org forward slash events calendar.
2: Everybody, welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. So happy to have you with us today. After the break, we are going to bring on a rock star. I am serious. He's been a vegan rock star for a very long time, Dr. Neil Barnard, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. He has a brand new book about cheese addiction, The Cheese Trap, and he is actually A rock star now, too. He's in a band. He's doing amazing songs and and videos um, about animal rights and veganism and not experimenting on animals. What a guy. But we are going to open with something very exciting for each one of us because this is something we can partake of and be a part of and get all excited about. And it is a brand new app. I mean new, hot off the presses in the past two weeks. It's called My Conscience, My Choice, and the Choice app, and this is how we can shop vegan and cruelty-free every single day. We are going to be speaking with Dori Kurowski, who is the founder of My Conscience, My Choice. She used to be in investor relations with pharmaceutical and biotech companies, but that was in her past life. She was focusing even then on animal advocacy and land preservation, and in 2010, two seminal events occurred. I think we can all relate. You're just going on in your life and then something happens and you do a kind of 180. Her son was born and her Bernese mountain dog passed away. Shortly after that, she saw earthlings and you know what? Everything changed. And now she's a great big old app designer. Welcome, Dory. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a delight because I know we talked about this a thousand years ago, and it's been a while in development. I can't even imagine the complexity of, of doing an app.
1: Yeah, it, it's actually, it, it took quite a while to get started with the app, but I actually started doing um, the research and my website in late 2012 just to establish the My Conscience, My Choice brand And I wanted to form a track record of making cruelty-free, vegan, and eco-friendly product recommendations. And I wanted people to see the types of products that I was recommending, that they actually were easy to transition to. Um, They did work. Um, They were better. Um, So I focused on making recommendations in personal care, cosmetic, um, food areas, and household areas. Um, And then I actually finally launched a beta version of the app in 2015. Um, But I've actually been researching all of these types of products, since my transition that I made for myself in 2010 to stop eating meat and restrict my purchasing of all animal-derived products in food and fashion and
2: and anywhere else as it was applicable. Well, it's very, very exciting because there really are great companies, great products that are better. I mean, I remember when we could kind of sort of get some of this stuff, but almost none of it was better. (laughs) And now it really is. So that's very, very cool. So what criteria do you look for in products besides that they don't have animal ingredients? Well, that's that's a great question. And, you know, there's a lot of apps out there that
1: are um, lookup apps. They'll tell you, you know, is the product cruelty-free? Yes or no. Or is it vegan? Yes or no. Um, So I I try to look at performance as well, but in general, I I do have many product criteria that I do look at before I recommend a product. Um, The product, as you mentioned, does have to be cruelty-free, which means, you know, preferably it it sports a Leaping Bunny logo or a PETA-certified logo for cruelty-free and vegan status. Um, But for some new brands, they're not there yet in terms of finishing a certification process. So in those cases, I'll contact the company and ensure the ingredients for the product that I'm recommending are derived from cruelty-free suppliers. And, um, you know, there's a lot more information on my website in the methodology section about how I determine this. Um, But then I also look and make sure that the product is eco-friendly. So it should have recyclable or usable packaging or very little packaging. Um, FSC-certified materials for packaging is also a plus. And the company needs to also have mindful production practices in place, like, um, you know, fair trade ingredients, if applicable, and such. And then I also look at the ingredients themselves. Um, So the ingredients should be clean ingredients, in addition to having no animal-derived ingredients no petroleum derivatives, no um, phenoxyethanol or any bad preservatives like tetrasodium EDTA, which is a really long, horrible name, uh, BHT, propylene glycol, synthetic fragrance, FD&C colors, formaldehydes, you know, the list goes on and on these days. Um... And then also as just a side note in terms of the ingredients, there are just a handful of products on the site that do contain beeswax, but they are from small and very sustainable sources. And that is only if the product that I'm recommending is deemed to be the best alternative to switch to from a more mainstream, big brand product that has, you know, much, much worse ingredients. Um, But that being said, there's only a handful. And, for example, there's so many... Um, non-beeswax alternatives out there now, like for lip balms. Uh, the best performing one that I recommend for that is is Hurrah. Um, so, that's my you know, favorite. That's I love great. Hurrah. Yeah, Hurrah is wonderful. Um, and then just, you know, um, the, other, the other things that I look at are brand transparency. If the brand is not owned by a big corporate parent with conflicting practices and um, if the brand has their own set of practices declaring that they have independent values. Um, the brand should not be masquerading as green and and greenwashing consumers, obviously. So brand transparency is super important. Um, and the last criteria and the, the things that I look for are product performance, which is um, a big differentiating factor. And after vetting all of these factors, then I personally test the product and then I also look at other consumers excuse me, consumers reviews, like on different sites that are trusted. Um, and I myself, you know, will also test the product. And if the product is from a local brand, like in the tri-state area, and meets all these criteria, then it's also a big plus as well.
2: Well, it sounds like you're awfully busy as a Mom and uh, the mom of a brand-new puppy. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so lots to do. So what surprised you on your research? Did you expect to see one thing somewhere and you came up with something different?
1: Yeah, you know, actually there was there were a lot of surprises I had along the way in, in researching and recommending many of these, these products. Um, so, I don't know, for starters, in addition to making my own products, uh, recommendations to switch to, I also work with some of these companies to help with their um, their brand visibility. So sometimes companies know about that and they'll come to me to help them with their exposure. So in the same way that I vet um, a product for recommendation, I will vet the brand and their line of products. So sometimes, obviously, there's products that engage in embellishing their status of being green. You know, we obviously all know this as being greenwashing. But what was really surprising was that other times I found companies that claimed they were vegan with vegan ingredients, but they actually were conducting animal testing. Oh, my goodness. So they were professing, you know, this vegan status, trying to really court the vegan community. And... You know, they were doing animal testing on the side because they really Ooh. just thought it was required.
2: Oh, so, name names. Yeah. Tell us, because we, we could be buying those.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really baffled me. There's there's many brands who they just, they want to scale up and reach mass markets. And they think they can only do so by protecting themselves by testing their products on animals. Um, but, you know, we all know this is not the case. There's skin patch testing. There's other types of testings. And if their ingredients are clean, you know this shouldn't be an issue to begin with in the first place.
2: Okay, are you comfortable telling us a couple of these companies that, um, that we might you might think know, are vegan? I- I
1: would rather not, I, I may be able to email you um, just kind of a, a generalized sense of like the types of, um, you know, like one, one product was a face, facial wash product uh-huh. in a different form. It was in a travel form, in a tablet form. So without going and saying the name, um, you know, I do want companies to be able to come to me, but I was just super surprised with something that had clean ingredients they thought they had to do testing, um, which, which just wasn't necessary.
2: Oh, that's you know, and when you know that it's it's banned by the EU, it's just ridiculous and it's not required here. It's required in China. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's one of these things that's very hidden. And I think people don't really understand what's the law, what isn't. And, and how to go about it. But thank goodness there are so many products available that are fabulous. So I want to know your favorites. You've already said hurrah is your favorite lip gloss. So I'm just going to do a favorite products quiz. I'm going to name a thing and you tell me the very best one. Okay? Okay. Ready. Mascara.
1: Oh, mascara. Um, I love, love um, Kiervice. Vice Kier is actually spelled um, K-J-A-E-R last name, W-E-I-S. Um, she has a line, and it's just, it's fabulous. She, um, she has, like, so many great products, but the mascara doesn't run, smudge, or irritate your eyes, and I'm a contact lens wearer. Um, it actually makes your lashes look, different and not just darker like many other, you know, vegan and cruelty-free mascaras I've tried or just like they they coat and they're a little more oily because they have more oils in them Uh um, or waxes in them. So this one I just love. And you can splash your eyes and it it does not run.
2: (laughs) Wow. Very, very cool. Okay. um, Cleaning products. Give me a great window cleaner. Window cleaner.
1: Oh, I actually love J.R. Watkins All-Purpose Cleaner. And not only do I use that on the surfaces of all my countertops, but I also am able to use that on glass, so for the windows. And some of the cleaners that you use, you'll find they streak, or maybe if there's some you know, other types of oils in there. This one does not leave any streaks, and that's why I love it. So it's a great substitute for Windex.
2: Mm. Now, do you get into pet care products? Could you recommend a shampoo for Fido um, I'm
1: actually looking at Echo Dog right now, So, um, but that, I'm glad that you asked that because um, that is an extra category that I'm thinking of recommending is for Animal Companion, and now that I have uh, my new Animal Companion, I am going to be much more involved in vetting products in that area. Uh,
2: cool. Well, just tell us, because you've tried so many products, just what are one or two that you're just blown away by that, that you just absolutely love and adore?
1: Um, well, I would have to say in, in food, if, if you're only limiting me to two, <laughs> um, I have, I, I love neat meat. meat. Um, it was life-changing for me. You know, even though I was not eating any meat, when I tried neat meat, I just was blown away in terms of its consistency. And unlike other types of meat substitutes, it does not have MSG in it. It's not um, texturized um, protein. There's no soy in it and it's made from actually chickpeas and pecans and spices. Uh And you can add an egg substitute to the mixture. It's a dry mixture and then make meat crumbles with it. So you can use it for tacos or you can use it for meat sauce. Um, and it's, it's just amazing. Um, and then I guess the second product that I would recommend is, um, you know, if I go to another category, it would be insect repellent, hmm. and it's an organic insect repellent that I use called TikTok Naturals, and it actually works, um, unlike many other insect repellents, and it lasts for like five hours because it's not alcohol-based, so it doesn't evaporate, and it can be used on your pets. <laughs> Speaking of pets, um, you can also use it on, you know, baby skin, and it's, it's just fantastic.
2: Wow, this is so cool. So let's just clear get clear on how everybody can find you. The website is MyConscienceMyChoice.com, and you're My Conscience My Choice on Facebook, and we'll put all your um, social media URLs and stuff like that over on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. But this app, how do we get the app? And is it for all smartphones or just one kind, or how does that work?
1: Right now, the app is available for download um, via the App Store, so it's only for iOS at the moment. Okay. Um, if you go to the App Store and search for My Conscience, it's the only one to pop up, which is kind of nice.
2: Yeah.
1: Um So that, that being said, we're hoping to do, like, a fundraising campaign for Android development soon. Okay. But, you know, for now, if you have the Android operating system, you can check the website at least where you can find some of my
2: top recommendations. Absolutely. You know, it's so much fun to shop these days when there really are options and and when you know that you can not just get something that happens to be vegan, but something that's really supporting a company and supporting people who are doing the same kind of thing that you'd be doing yourself if you were in that business.
1: Right. Exactly. It's, it's wonderful to know that, you know, there's so many more like-minded people now that really care about what they're putting into their body or, you know, how they're um, affecting animals and the planet. You know, it's something that people just talked about before, but I think people are really wanting to adopt and and do this now. And I'm hoping that the suggestions that I give people will make it easier for them, at least, and that they will trust the recommendations and go ahead and try them. Well, I'm excited.
2: I mean, so many of of the things that you've recommended to us today I hadn't heard of before. So now I have all these wonderful (laughs) adventures in shopping ahead. So, Dory, thank you so much. Enjoy the puppy and enjoy your success. And uh, we'll just look forward to seeing that app grow and grow and grow. Thanks a lot. Thank
1: you. Thank Bye-bye. you, Victoria. <laughs> it's
2: a pleasure. You're ever so welcome. And everybody else, do stay with us. We have Dr. Neil Barnard, and he's going to tell us all about cheese.
0: Thank you for your support. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Welcome back everybody. Just a little heads up about something that I did this weekend. I was in Tampa, Florida and spoke for Florida Voices for Animals and did a brand new presentation that I call Unity Through Animals is, you know, it's no mystery that we're having a little bit of a unity problem in our country right now, and it's hard for some people to talk to some other people. And I just started playing with the idea animals are more neutral than Switzerland, and they really do seem to bring people together. And once I started playing with that idea... All this evidence uh, on on that started coming forward. So it was a very well-received presentation, and it's on Facebook Live. So if you want to go to my Facebook friend page and just scroll down to February 12th, it's there. It's also on Ellen Jaffe-Jones' friend page on Facebook. You know, Ellen, uh, eat vegan on $4 a day. So if you want to hear my interesting idea about unity through animals... I'd be happy to have you check that out. Now, what you've been waiting for, Dr. Neil Barnard. Brand new book, The Cheese Trap. And for anybody who is not yet familiar with Dr. Barnard. That means you're really new to all this. Welcome, welcome. Neil Barnard, MD, is adjunct associate professor of medicine at George Washington University School of Medicine in Washington, D.C., and president of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. He's led numerous research studies investigating the effects of diet on diabetes, body weight, and chronic pain, including a groundbreaking study of dietary interventions in type to diabetes funded by the National Institutes of Health. He's authored over 70 scientific publications as well as 18 books and he also is a rock star. We'll get to that. Welcome Neil.
3: Hi Victoria, it's great to talk with you today.
2: It's wonderful to talk with you. So Cheese. We live in a world where the implication outside of vegan circles is largely, as long as you don't eat sugar, you'll be fine. You don't think that?
3: No. As a matter of fact, um, sugar is not health food, and it's good to get away from sugar and sodas and all that junk. But, you know, if you look at the numbers, sugar consumption has been falling since about 1999. In other words, it's almost... 20 years that sugar has been declining, which that really started when bottled water started replacing soda. But obesity hasn't been declining. It's been going up, and it, it parallels cheese, of all things. And if you step back and take a look at it, about a century ago when the government started tracking food intake, cheese was not our thing. The average American consumed less than four pounds of cheese in a year. But pizza chains, fast food chains started bringing it in like nobody's business. And the average American today consumes about 35 pounds of cheese every single year. That's 60,000 calories. And I am convinced that it is one of the biggest reasons for weight gain in adults and also for the weight problems we're seeing in kids.
2: Wow, and that doesn't surprise me at all because, you know, I used to have the weight problems, the overeating problems, and I can remember eating cheese in chunks. It was extremely appealing. Why is that?
3: Yeah, um, some people would even use the word addicting. Um, Part of it, well, I think there's three reasons. The first one is that we are drawn to salty foods and cheese is surprisingly salty. And if, if you don't think of it that way, when, when people walk into a cheese factory and they see it being made, salt goes in just like a, a blizzard of salt goes into the cheese vat, and it's there to stabilize the bacterial action so that it doesn't ferment and ferment and ferment. The salt will stop that process or, or balance it. And secondly, it's fatty, and we love that fatty-salty combination in foods like French fries or potato chips. Um, but the numbers are really frightening here. For comparison, two ounces of potato chips, which you and I would say are pretty salty, right? Uh, two ounces of potato chips have 330 milligrams of sodium. Two ounces of Velveeta has 800 milligrams of sodium. Oh. And the fat content, a bean is about 4% fat. Uh, brown rice, maybe 5% fat as a percentage of calories. For, for cheese, it's 70% fat um, and mostly bad fat, saturated fat. But the, the third thing, is these compounds that are in cheese called casomorphins, casein-derived morphine-like compounds. They come from the casein protein, and they break apart in your digestive tract. These compounds go into your blood and attach to the brain receptors that would where morphine or heroin would attach. So I don't mean to say that cheese is as mind-numbing as morphine, but I do mean to say that if people just crave it, Couldn't imagine giving it up. Want it day after day. There are biological reasons for it. It's salty, it's fatty, and it's got opiates in it.
2: Well, if it has opiates in it, and we have had a war on drugs for many decades, what's the U.S. government doing about this?
3: What the government is doing is promoting it wildly. Um, We have laws in this country, unfortunately, that are designed to promote... Farm income, even when farm income is higher than other people's income, and even when uh, we already have loads and loads of cheese, the government has stored up, believe it or not, more than a billion pounds of surplus, unwanted cheese. And every now and then, the government will issue a new purchase order where they buy a couple hundred million dollars worth, or or maybe ten or twenty million dollars worth, and they buy up cheese. They put it, it's real cheese, you've got to do something with it. So they put it in schools, they put it in VA hospitals, they put it in prisons, and suddenly the school menu is cheeseburgers and cheese pizza, and and the school nurse gets alarmed at how chubby the kids are getting, and uh, this is all part of, of government programs. The government also works with fast food chains on contract to promote cheese as part of say, the Wendy's Cheddar Lover's Bacon Cheeseburger. These are all part of USDA programs that, by law, must promote American agricultural products, even if they're not so healthy.
2: Whoa. There is an article about this in in the current issue of Good Medicine magazine, and anybody that is not a member of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, anybody that doesn't get Good Medicine Just get to your computer, pcrm.org. You've got to have access to this. It has the most up-to-the-minute nutrition information, also information about alternatives to animal research. Great victories there. But in this article about cheese, I am reading that cheese and other dairy products are actually the top source of saturated fat in the American diet. To put it in perspective, a serving of cheddar contains as much saturated fat as 8 slices of bacon. Th- that's staggering.
3: It's, it, is, it is really frightening. And the funny thing is, all the while that we, that you and I are talking about this, I remember well that when I was little and probably when you were two, we thought of it as sort of an innocuous thing. You could have your mac and cheese or, or a grilled cheese sandwich. And how much harm could it really do? But as I have continued to dig into this, I have been just struck by The fat in the cheese, which is mostly the saturated fat, it's the leading cause of saturated fat, linked to heart disease, more recently linked to Alzheimer's disease, and it gets into the cells of the body, interfering with insulin's ability to work, so it's linked to diabetes. But you know, Victoria, there's one other thing that, that, if you don't mind, I, I would love for us to talk about, and it's something that nobody ever thinks about when they're looking at the cheese aisle, and that's hormones. And the reason that that comes up is cheese comes from a living, breathing cow who has to be impregnated in order to give birth, and after she gives birth, she'll uh, produce milk. And they are impregnated every year, so most of the year, nine months of the year, the, the cows are pregnant. So most of the milk you consume and most of the cheese that's made from that milk came out of a cow who was pregnant. And a pregnant cow makes estradiol and other estrogens. that get into the blood and are concentrated in the milk. And researchers have found that in women, it, it, the, the amounts of estrogen it, they are very small, really, um, in dairy products. But when you actually measure estrogen levels in women, you can see that the milk, drunk, milk drinkers, have higher levels of estradiol in a very large Australian study. When you look at infertility clinics, men who consume the most cheese have lower sperm counts. What scientists now believe is that there's these, these small amounts of hormones that you're getting by drinking the milk of a pregnant cow might actually have biological Effects Um, and as they look at the list of issues like endometriosis in 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 women or prostate cancer in men, the idea of having foods derange your hormones is is something that we're really getting concerned about. So, um, if people are unsure about whether they want to give up cheese for themselves, at least do not feed it to children, uh, because we have every reason to think that it's going to be harmful to them.
2: Why is information about other things so much more palatable to the general public. When I think about hormone disruption in the food, I mean, we hear all the time, everybody's worried about soy, and we're always trying to answer that question. People are worried, and probably rightfully so, about BPA in water bottles. A lot of people are worried about phthalates and fragrances. And yet, Anything from a cow just seems so innocuous out there in the world. What's going on?
3: Well, well, first of all, um, let me back up a minute and just make sure that everyone's straight as to what the facts are. And then I want to tackle this question that you raised, which which is a a great question of of, of why. Um, First of all, you're right. When people think about hormones, they might think about soy. But the fact of the matter is that the isoflavones that are sometimes referred to as estrogenic in soy, um, if they have any biological effect at all, it's actually a beneficial one. The women who consume the most soy have roughly 30% or 40% less breast cancer compared to women who don't consume soy. And among women who have had cancer in the past, specifically breast cancer, uh, those who consume the most soy have about a 30% reduction in the, the risk that the cancer will ever come back. So soy is not necessary, but it seems to be beneficial from the standpoint of preventing cancer and stopping cancer from coming back. Um, With regard to dairy products, where you have not just things that are like hormones, but they actually are actual hormones, and you are swallowing them, why it is that people want to uh, ignore that, I don't know. But I have noticed over and over again, when you talk to people about these real issues that are problematic, You can say your average person is consuming 60,000 calories worth of cheese every year. It parallels obesity. People want to blame sugar. It's got to be sugar. It's got to be I ate too much bread. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying sugar is healthy. But there is, for some reason, a tendency to scapegoat everything else and to ignore the problems with cheese or dairy or even meat. I suspect that's because of the way that our parents handled them and giving them to us. They gave us meat and dairy as staples, and taught us that these were important and they gave us sugar as a dessert that you couldn't have unless you ate the other stuff and it was something they would give you with a little bit of their own sort of guilty pleasure involved um and somehow that kind of pervades our own view of these things today i i, I think and we that is do see it brilliant. When, so so people tend to avoid it.
2: Wow, that is absolutely fascinating and it makes so much sense. I'm wondering if we could just backtrack for a minute to the saturated fat thing because that's another one that now that you have all these articles in the popular press for the past two, three years that saturated fat is all of a sudden okay again, people sure took that without any question. What's all that about and how can people know how to vet information?
3: Um, What that is about is um, there are policy-making bodies, like the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee is appointed every five years, and it reformulates the guidelines for what Americans are supposed to eat. It dictates what's served in schools and so forth. Um, The food industry learned a long time ago that that committee pays attention to research, and not just any kind of research. They're looking for summary research studies called meta-analyses, where you take every study done on a certain topic and you combine it into one single result. But um, as all statisticians know, if you take studies that really don't have very much to do with each other and you lump them all together in one big analysis, you sort of come up with a lot of nothing. And that's exactly what happened with the studies on saturated fat. Um, There was uh, a study that that combined vegetarians, vegans, meat eaters, and people following wildly different diets and tried to make sense of dietary patterns and disease risk and ended up really combining studies that shouldn't have been combined uh, and came up with what statisticians would call a null answer. They couldn't make anything out of the saturated fat issue. That didn't mean it was safe. It just meant that they weren't doing the research well. And then you give it to the New York Times and others, and they say, I guess bacon must be okay because the statisticians couldn't find any answer to it. I couldn't find any problem with it. But when you you actually dig into the individual studies themselves, it is without question that bad fat, saturated fat, increases the risk of heart problems. It increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease. It increases the risk of many other things. Um, and wishful thinking says bacon must be okay, but the science is clear. Unfortunately, the horse is out of the barn. People are running off thinking, yay, I can have bacon, I can have hot dogs, I can have burgers, and all these things, and they couldn't possibly hurt me, but that's just not the case.
2: Mm. So I know that, that your book, The uh, Cheese Trap, has wonderful recipes from, from uh, Drina Burton, right? Is Drina? Yeah.
3: Drina and is we, yeah, Drina Burton is we love she's wonderful. She's oh. so fun to work with and she comes up with great replacements for everything from fettuccine, Alfredo to cheesecake without the cheese.
2: Ooh. And and I have uh, an idea that probably everything that she has in the book is was really healthy too. But I also know that a lot of the vegan cheeses, and oh my gosh, I'm so glad they're there. I remember when everybody said I could never be vegan, I can't give up cheese, and now vegan cheese is fabulous. But a lot of it is full of coconut oil. And that's another controversial thing. To me, coconut oil just seems like a saturated fat. And a lot of people say, no, it's a magical saturated fat. So can you weigh in on coconut oil?
3: Yeah, I think it's all marketing and it's not science. Um, I, I, it is highly saturated. It looks like a candle when you look at it in, in a chunk, um, true. and I, I would I would avoid it. Um, m- vegan cheeses, though, uh, many of them are now made with, say, almond milk or cashews. Uh, some of them are made from tapioca, and if you look at the labels, um, I think of them as they're sort of like cheese methadone. So if you're <laughs> if, if you're if you're addicted to dairy cheese, these will help you break free. Um, but they're not really low in fat. W- what you can say for them is that the fat is much less saturated fat if it's from ca- uh, cashews. Or or the same is true if instead of putting feta on your salad, if you put a little avocado on there, it's not low fat, but at least it's very little saturated fat. So that's a move in the right direction. Um, and if you need to get away from dairy, either to be humane or because you've got migraines from cheese or your joints hurt or whatever, um, all of those can be okay choices. If you also want to slim down, then I would go a step further. And so that's where the nutritional yeast on your pizza is a better choice or just uh, skipping the the cheese entirely.
2: Yeah, that's how I'm seeing it these days. I'm so glad that the cheeses are there. I love the people who have the cheese companies and the cheese shops, and they're saving so many cows But I I need to remind myself when I go shopping, vegan cheese is a treat thing. It's like a vegan cookie, (laughs) it's not a staple. So, all good. Well, yes. All-
3: yes, and and they're and I think they're they're doing a tremendous public service. Um, in fact, when you open the cheese trap, you'll see I talk about tree line cheese, which was started by Michael Schwartz or Kite Hill, uh, yes. done by Tal Ronen or Miyoko, Miyoko Shinner's brand, yes. and um, there are others and frankly, they're fancy, they're delicious, they they taste good, they have all the mouthfeel you could ever want. And Michael Schwartz has in starting tree line uh, I asked him to, to talk about making cheese, but he is so eloquent when he talks about what the animals go through on yes. a dairy farm, and his story is so poignant and wonderful. Um, if you read nothing else in the cheese trap, please go to that because it will it 's such an eye opener to think what the animals go through, and that is what led him to start making this wonderful tree line cheese so um, as you mentioned, this is my eighteenth book, but I have to say for me it was it was it was a it's the funnest book I ever wrote, but also perhaps the most eye opening
2: mm it's fascinating and i, I love treeline and and Michael Schwartz and his story that when he left South Africa, everybody said apartheid is just here forever, we're never going to get rid of it, you know, like it or leave it. but he says now, when he goes back, everybody says, "Oh, I always opposed apartheid." And he said that's what's going to happen about meat-eating and animal enslavement, that one of these days everybody is going to say, I always oppose that.
3: <laughs> well, and, and they should. You know. And you can go to a dairy farm, and you're sort of not prepared for this. A cow doesn't give milk until she's been impregnated and gives birth. And when she gives birth, um, she's busily licking her calf, and there's no greater bond than the mother and her baby, no, no matter what species you may be. And here's this calf blinking her eyes, and and her mother is there. And they're bonding in these magical moments. And then the gate opens, and a farmer comes in with a wheelbarrow. And he picks up that calf around the the ribs and, and plunks her in the wheelbarrow and starts going away. And the mother follows and follows and starts crying out, saying, you know, you're taking my baby. And then the gate slams in her face. And all night long she's crying out because the farmer says, I can't get milk. If, if I give it all to your baby and then the, the calf cries out and every year she goes through this until she's about four at which point the calculations are that if the mother is sold off and killed and replaced with her daughter, her daughter can make milk more efficiently. And every dairy in the world works that way. So that they, these cows are impregnated and separated and impregnated and separated then they're hung up by their legs and their throats are slit and their daughters take their place and of course the male calves are all killed And Michael was telling me about this, and I have since seen it. And my thought is, it's not civilized. It's a cultural thing that started in Northern Europe or, or Eastern Europe or some would say the Middle East, but it's taken over and, and only recently making inroads in Asia. And my feeling is that it's something that we would have better, that, that if we had consulted with Mother Nature, Mother Nature would have said, wait a minute, you can have mother's milk while you are a breastfeeding baby, but after that, hey, get weaned already. So anyway, Mm. that was to me the most poignant part of the book.
2: This weekend uh, when I was in Florida, I was talking with Ellen Jaffe-Jones, and, and we're about the same vintage, and we talked about having babies back in the 1980s, and we were both very involved with La Leche League, the breastfeeding moms organization. And I remember in La Leche League, there were a few valiant moms who managed to nurse through pregnancy. But the general story was that the milk changes during pregnancy so that the baby doesn't like it and is kind of pushed to wean because nature is not crazy about pregnant mammals nursing. And yet with the dairy industry, they're all pregnant. And it just seems that on top of everything else that we do, we've just added insult to injury. So A way that we can help the cows and help ourselves and make everything better is to pre-order our copies of The Cheese Trap, How Breaking a Surprising Addiction Will Help You Lose Weight, Gain Energy, and Get Healthy. Now, here's what we need to do. The pub date is February 28th, 2017, but if we order before that, then all those pre-orders get calculated for the same week. And that's how the New York Times bestseller list happens. And when a vegan book is on the New York Times bestseller list, that means vegan goes many, many steps further mainstream. So in addition to the fact that you'll have a great book and you'll learn a lot, and, and Dr. Barnard is an excellent writer, you and all your friends that you will buy copies of this book for will be helping spread the word, save the cows, And if you happen to be in the South Florida area, there is going to be a big old fancy book party at Sublime Restaurant in Fort Lauderdale on March the 10th. And if that's something that you're interested in attending, just go online to pcrm.org slash sublime or just give them a call at Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, 202-717-8762. And you can meet Neil and get your book signed and that'll be all cool. So, thank Neil. you,
3: Victoria. Thank, oh. thank, I do hope people will join me at Sublime, my favorite place in the whole universe. And uh, Nancy Alexander has really shown how you can make the most wonderful cuisine without a drop of dairy. And it, it, she's been an inspiration for me.
2: Uh, I mean, and, and talk about a vegan cheese, her mac and cheese, I must
3: say. <laughs> it's fabulous. Yeah, you, you want to get a little extra and put it in your luggage, don't you?
2: Ooh, and and the sliders. My husband still. I, it's been a couple of years, and he's like, "Remember that place where we had the sliders?" Yes, yeah, sublime <laughs> is sublime. So, Neil, you got this other thing going on. Your alter ego. You can play the guitar. Tell us. Tell us a, a, about Carbon Works and what all that's doing.
3: Oh uh, well, well, thank you for asking about that. Um, when, when I was uh, about six years old or so, my parents got the idea in their head that that uh, any civilized person had to play music, and not just one instrument, but a couple of instruments. So I spent much of every day almost chained to a chair where I would practice the cello and the piano, and I can't say I entirely appreciated it at the time. And then uh, when I discovered rock and roll, um, then it started speaking to me, and all the way through medical school, I had bands and things, but... Um, what happened to me more recently is I started to discover that different people speak different languages. There are people who, who do want to talk about um, saturated fat and cholesterol, and there are people who want to talk about prostate uh, malignancies and, and weight loss and body mass index. But there are others who need to hear things emotionally. And then I discovered that if you're fluent in music, that you can speak to those people. So uh, Carbon Works is... Um, the name comes from the idea that we are all carbon, and these are our works. Um, be that as it may, and uh, there are 16 musicians on this record, and they are wonderful people. And if you happen to have a chance to go to YouTube and look at the Carbon Works videos, we have we have 11 of them. There are there are three or four of them up now, and as you'll see, they 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 tell a message too. There's one called Louder Than Words, which is animal issues, and you'll you'll see what it's about. And um, one of my favorites is a, a little song called Samurai, which is very hard-driving rock music, but it's about a little girl who wakes up to, have a, to discover that there's a rock band in her bedroom. And in this sort of dreamlike state, she um, becomes a little samurai who cuts chains and frees her animal friends. And it's very, very cute. It was the funnest video we ever made in a million years. Um, and then there's another one, if you don't mind my mentioning this. Um, it's called God Save the King. And I wrote this song way before the recent election. But when people have watched this video and said, "You're talking about what's happening in America right now," um, it, it was written m- with a more universal issue. But you'll 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 see what I'm talking about. So anyway, it's, it's Carbon Works. You'll see it on YouTube. Uh, the website, uh, the band's website is uh, CarbonWorksMusic.com, and. It's also on Amazon. So if you don't mind buying 16 copies of Cheese Trap and two or three of Carbon Works, <laughs> <laughs> you, your, your gift buying will be finished for the next year.
2: Yeah, well, you know, people's income tax uh, returns will be coming <laughs> through. <this. laughs>
3: these, are so, all, these are all languages that I'm hoping will reach people. Life is short, so we're always trying to find new ways to touch either people's thought processes or, in some cases, their hearts.
2: Well, and you you do it so beautifully. Just for anybody who happens to be new, anybody who isn't familiar with PCRM, tell them about what you guys do there.
3: Sure. Uh, The Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is this uh, group with a horrible name, I have to say. I called it a committee because when I was finishing my residency, I wanted to pull together just 10 or 12 doctors to weigh in on preventive medicine, on nutrition, on ethical issues and research, but we're, we're just... Barely a committee anymore. We have, I think, fourteen thousand doctors and one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand member supporters. So it's it's a pretty big committee. But anyway, the Physicians <laughs> Committee for Responsible Medicine promotes. Good nutrition, and that, of course, means plant-based diets. We do research studies here, lots of them, uh, that are relied on by policymakers in looking at what's healthy and what's not. Uh, We have an active set of programs promoting alternatives to the use of animals in research, and we have a a medical center here called the Barnard Medical Center where we treat patients. Um, And that's, that's all here in Washington. We have a staff of about 80, and if people are in our neck of the woods, I hope they'll come by and visit.
2: So tell us how the Barnard Clinic works. Can somebody just go there as their regular primary care place that they go? How how does that work? Yes.
3: Yes. yes uh it 's a regular primary care clinic, and you can come and we take insurance all insurances and or if you don 't have insurance we we will be happy to see you obviously and um, including people who are unable to pay um, and we 're affiliated with the George Washington University. all of our clinicians are on the faculty at g w in the medical school as am i um, however. The the big difference is you walk in. Well, first of all, everyone's in a great mood. Our people from the front desk and the doctors are in a good mood, and they have a little extra time. But what you discover is that when they are talking with you about your diabetes um, or high cholesterol, they don't regard you as a person who needs extra medication. They refer everybody for very extensive support for nutrition. We have classes and, and three terrific registered dietitians. And even if you're there for a twisted ankle, before you leave, they are going to say, hey, make an appointment. Let's let's look at your diet too. Your your ankle's not going to kill you, but that cheeseburger might. And so um, we have a, a really good structure for helping people change their diets and lots of classes, and they're all free. And people have a, a really, really
2: fun time with it. Well, I look forward to the day when there's going to be a Barnard Clinic in every city in this country. So we're just going to... Hold hold that thought. So, Neil, I know you are up on everything. We're down to our last few minutes. But as you go over the research and you see exciting things coming out every day, what's new? What do we not know about?
3: Well, I think what we're really seeing is that food is more powerful than many people thought. Back a couple of decades ago, we thought of food as something that could sort of um, nourish our bodies in, in a way and maybe might have a modest... Uh, force for health. But what we are now seeing very clearly is that health problems are a two-way street. You gained weight, that doesn't mean you you have to be stuck with it forever. That's a two-way street. Diabetes is a two-way street. Heart disease can be a two-way street. That's true for so many things. People who have been labored with migraine headaches or painful joints, those can change, but they never change until we really get to the cause, and the cause is food. Um, And that means we have to confront aspects of culture that promote bad eating habits and, and things that we can be a little bit addicted to. But the beauty of it is that there's more support than ever before. And I want to salute you, Victoria. You have helped people not just to learn about how food works, but also you've touched them in their hearts You've reassured them. You've let them know that these things really are possible. And as you know, there have been plenty of times where I've had to call you and say, Victoria, help me out here. I'm on the ledge. Talk me down. And you have really been so helpful to me personally. And I know you've helped many, many others. And I want to thank you for including me in this program and in the other things that you have done.
2: Oh, well, that's so kind of you. And and it it means the world because I've admired you for a very, very long time. So, Everybody, Dr. Neil Barnard, Power Foods for the Brain, 21-Day Weight Loss Kickstart, Breaking the Food Seduction, Foods That Fight Pain. How does this guy have time to run an organization and start clinics and things when he's writing books all the time? Well, I guess he has a really good diet. And the new book, The Cheese Trap, which we are all going to frantically order. Neil, last couple of minutes. Famous last words?
3: Um, Well... Sometimes when we talk with people about food, they see it as sort of a wagging finger. Okay, cheese is bad for you. It's bad for the cows. You should be ashamed of it and feel guilty. And there's something to that. I, understand, I, I certainly understand it. But what I would like to do is to turn this around and have this be a little bit of an adventure. Pick up the cheese trap or pick up you know other resources. Try the recipes. If there are certain ones that turn out to be duds, fair enough. Set them aside. On to the next. But you'll find the ones you like like our, the little bit of our cashew cream that goes onto your cracker um, and or try the vegan cheesecake, whatever it is. You'll discover things that you like. You'll discover products at the store you like, new restaurants that you like. And when you find it, make some noise and share this with other people. It's an adventure. It's exciting. And to discover that you have more control of your health than you thought before, that's cool too. So no more wagon fingers. We're going to have fun. <laughs>
2: Ah, that's wonderful. And this is an adventure. One of the things I always tell people is when when you decide that you're going to go vegan or move in a vegan word direction, add more to your life than you subtract. Add all these amazing cruelty-free products like our first guest was talking about. Add great food. Add great recipes. Because it really is such a celebratory way of life that uh, we need to stop thinking that it's some sort of monk-like existence. and You know, have more rock music and uh, cheesecake.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, it was roast beef, baked potatoes, and corn every day. And if you told me I had to go back to that, forget it. Uh, The foods that I eat now are so varied and so tasty and so wonderful. Um, And I'm hoping that kind of everything we do is that way. It's enriching Uh and beautiful and fun.
2: Well, everything you do is enriching and beautiful and fun. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. And everybody else, just a note, last week's show had a little bit of a tech glitch. And it didn't get posted uh, until, well, almost until now. If you didn't happen to get a chance to listen last week to Dr. Joel Kahn talking about telomeres and the renaissance in medicine and our other guest Camille DeAngelis talking about creativity. Do make sure that you catch that one because like today's, it was fabulous. I think that's because all of these wonderful vegans who come on the show are just brilliant and articulate but most of all committed And the combination of what everybody's doing, we're talking guests, listeners, people who speak, people who write books, people who are vegan entrepreneurs, people in the nonprofit world, are really making a difference for the animals and for people. So thank you, Neil. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Check out the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net, and we'll give you all the uh, the, uh, URLs and a way to click through to... Purchase the Cheese Trap and and to get your app, your My Choice app, and then we'll just all be kinder and happier. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies.
0: Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. Sometimes life can seem like a jigsaw puzzle. Even if we think we have a clear picture of what we want, we may become overwhelmed in our efforts to fit all the pieces together. Although each of our lives may look different on the outside, what we are all striving to create is the same, peace of mind. We mistakenly think that peace will be ours once we have fit all the pieces of our lives into place. But peace isn't dependent on outer circumstances, and it's not something that must be finished. It's a work in progress within each of us. If I want to picture peace clearly, I look within myself. The peace I've been missing is there. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org.
3: Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters Podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg